Well, good morning again. Thanks to everyone who's uh, leading us in worship today, uh, to Vanessa and uh, to Heidi and to Clara Harmon and John in absentia, um, and uh, to Robert Codio at the piano, and especially to Sherry, who's worked very hard and long and came up with another solution uh, during worship this morning. It'll be better if I take my mask off, right? Okay. So if you have a bulletin, uh, you may look at the front and there's a photograph of Shappies. I wish Clara could come up here to imitate that with me, Shappies. Um, and actually in Boston, we don't drop the R. We simply pronounce it the way it's intended to be pronounced. So it's not really fair to say that we drop the R. We say R very clearly. Shappies, markers, why are they on uh, the cover of the bulletin because the sermon title is what is the defining marker of our identity? They don't mean purple or red, yellow, green, uh, black or white. Uh, what I mean is what is it that marks us as our truest selves, our identity, that thing which makes us who we are. And all of us have uh, various ways of marking our identity and establishing our place in society very often uh, it might be as a national identity, an American or a German, a Russian or a person who is from China, from Vietnam or from Zimbabwe or Mozambique, from Bolivia, Ecuador, Guatemala, Mexico. Another way we can define ourselves, of course, and we are particularly uh, acutely and sometimes unhappily aware of this in particular moment in which we live as Republican or Democrat or Democratic Socialist or Independent or Libertarian. Or we may identify ourselves by our perception of our economic situation, member of the upper middle class or a member of the working poor, a member of the blue collar or the white collar labor force, a member who is employed independently, self-employed, or working for a large corporation, or a small business. So we may identify ourselves as someone who has employment and someone who is unemployed. We may identify ourselves as homemakers or technicians. We may apply an identity to ourselves as those who um, are good neighbors because we mow our lawns and trim our bushes and others who aren't quite so persnickety about the appearance of their yard. All these different ways of identifying ourselves. We identify ourselves by our houses, by the cars that we drive, by where we go on vacation. These are all real, but they are not the essential markers of our identity. Uh, it's not that they are to be renounced, uh, but it's to put them in their proper place, to view them with the right perspective. Not to view them as essential, but in a sense transitory or conditional, and to focus instead on that which is not transitory, that which is eternal, and that which is not temporary, but that which is for good, and not just those things which are for a passing fancy, but the truest self. Who is it who makes me? What is it 
who makes me? How do I symbolize who I truly am? Because, of course, people who uh, love God and who follow Jesus can be members of any of these other uh, groups by which we identify ourselves. And those who follow Jesus have an open heart and a mind that is willing to listen and understand the various perspectives from this nation or another, from one political party or another, from one orientation to the next, trusting that each person in our fellowship has the best intentions and views their own percep perceptions and their own philosophies and their own political orientations out of a sense of openness to what God intends for them and uh, for their lives. I'm going to pause here for just a minute and ask uh, Sherry or Vanessa or Heidi, um, are people hearing me or not? They are, I'm getting a thumbs up from Vanessa. People are hearing me. If you cannot hear me, um, I have good news for you. Well, of course, many people who can't hear me think, well, that's, that's good news in itself. That's, that's more than sufficient. We don't need any more. But here's the other good news. Tomorrow afternoon, the uh, representative from Power Sound, New England, is coming here to the church to go uh, through a final walkthrough on the specifications for the new audio and live streaming service that they will begin installing in our sanctuary and chapel and Wakeman Hall beginning on Tuesday morning. So I want to thank Sherry. <laughs> Sherry, is, <laughs> Sherry is applauding over here in the corner. Um, and oh, Vanessa wants to say something. The comments say they can hear you loud and clear. Who says that? The comments. The com oh, the, the comments. Oh. John Lewinsky. The, 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 Okay, so the comment section, that identity is, you are in the peanut gallery. Okay, so please clean up your shells after you. Now, here we go. Tomorrow, we begin the process of installing this new state-of-the-art design for our space live streaming audio system. And I want to thank uh, Sherry Ivan, who has worked like a Trojan um, ever since uh, the first week in March to make this work for us. It's been a bit of bailing wire and um, duct tape and this phone or that phone and a little bit of technology here and another microphone there. Wonderful, wonderful ministry, Sherry and David McInnes, who's been your great partner in all this, uh, and to Andrew McInnes and Alan Furing, who worked with us over the summer. Um, so hopefully the system will be all in place next Sunday and it'll be gangbusters. That's what we're hoping. All right, so from Paul's letter to the Philippians in the third chapter. Paul, in this letter to the uh, Philippians, a community founded by his uh, preaching and uh, with whom he has obviously a very positive and loving relationship, uh, writes to them for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons that he writes is that there is dissension and some disagreement already growing up in the church here in the very first uh, generation. So when we think about disagreements or conflict um, in the church, it's not a new phenomenon at all. It's, you know, we're human beings. We all have different ideas and sometimes our perceptions vary widely. And Paul writes to uh, set aside one of the ideas that undergirds uh, a conflict within the uh, Philippian church. 
There are those who think that uh, they are better Christians because they continue to follow the laws of Moses or what Paul calls the works of the flesh, the outward demonstrations of the Ten Commandments and the 613 ordinances which come from those commandments, the book of Leviticus and Numbers primarily. But Paul writes to say, no, it's not these outer works that define who we are, but it's a deeper inner spiritual reality that is the true marker of our identity. So he writes, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, these works of the flesh, obedience to the laws of Moses, if anyone has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, the Pharisees were known for scrupulous adherence to the law, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, before his experience of the resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, Paul was the great persecutor of the early church. A persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet, I regard whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as so much trash, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, trust in Christ, the righteousness, the right relationship from God based on faith, this abiding trust in God. I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize, the prize of the heavenly call, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.
would be easy for us to uh, think that Paul's autobiographical sketch here at the beginning is a bit of arrogance, but I don't think that's the case at all. In fact, I think what, God is, what Paul is doing here is establishing that his former life was really that dross and so much trash because it didn't express the fullness of his true orientation and identity, which he discovered on the Damascus Road. Think about this. If Saul, on the road to Damascus, has an experience in which the resurrected Christ appears to him in a blinding light and who speaks to him and who calls him, gives to him a new vocation, a new commission to spread the good news of God's love, this one was a deep and intimate transformative, empowering experience of the resurrected Christ can still himself say that I do not, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death by which he is raised from the dead that I may attain the resurrection of the dead myself. Paul is not arrogant, he's not resting on his laurels but continues to understand that he is a, a work in progress. In the same way, you and I are works in progress. And one of the ways you judge a work in progress is by knowing what you're aiming for. What is the marker uh, to which you aspire? What is the identity uh, of which you dream? And for Paul, it was to be in Christ, to be Christ in the world. This is the marker of our true identity. Not that we renounce and reject the other elements that make us who we are, fathers and mothers, workers and lovers, neighbors and people involved in society and economics and politics. Those are all real. We're not called to reject them, but we're called to renounce them as the primary markers of our faith and instead hold our identity as Christ's presence in the world, being called into a deeper relationship with Christ as the primary marker of our faith, to grow into that more fully. And how will the world know? How will I know that I'm coming closer and holding more fastly to the mark of Christ? Humility and transcendence. The humility to know that I am one, not unto myself, but with Christ. And yet transcendence to know that I am called to be in and of and to become Christ. A Christ consciousness in my own life. To live in a community not of mutual defense, like rounding up the wagons in a circle to fight off a common enemy, but a community that is called to be that open and welcoming place for all people, regardless of who they are or where they are in life's journey, find in our midst a home of unconditional regard and abiding respect, of affirmation, of love. The mark 
of one who hears the cry of God's people and responds with compassion, with acts of mercy, with a focus of justice. You may have heard the story recently of Delonte West, who was a National Basketball Association power forward, played for a number of teams. Uh, the last team for which he played was the Dallas Mavericks. And Delonte, a very skilled player, um, came from a very troubled past and had his own personal problems, um, primarily a persistent and often untreated mental illness. And because of his mental illness, which wasn't properly treated and managed, Delonte finally lost um, his life in the NBA and lost everything else. He was reduced, actually, uh, to the point of homelessness. And one Sunday, Mark Cuban was watching the news and there was a report of Delonte West found begging on the streets in Dallas, uh, wearing nothing but a sweater and the Johnny that he had from the hospital where he'd been in the emergency room the night before. So Mark Cuban got in his car and drove around downtown Dallas and he found Delonte and he got in touch with Delonte's mother and he reunited them and provided temporary housing and got them connected with mental health services and then he let them be to rebuild their own lives. One human being hearing about the plight and the burden, the desperation of another human being. Would have been easy for Mark Cuban sitting as he does at the top of the socioeconomic pile among one of the wealthiest, among the wealthiest Americans, and assign somebody else to undertake it or perhaps to do nothing but to instead get out of his comfort zone and to do the truly decent, humane, Christian thing for another child of God. That's what we're talking about. That's the defining marker of our identity. To live as Christ lived. To love without regard without judgment, without reserve, as Christ loved. And I'm not sure how the Shappy company is going to make a marker to put in their sets to do that, but why don't we try to do it ourselves? The true mark of our identity is Christ. Amen.